0: You're listening to the Vineyard Community Church Podcast with Pastor Rick Francis. For more information, visit vccmountcomfort.org. Well, welcome to the Vineyard. My name's Rick Francis. I'm pastor here. We've been doing a, a series called The Victor and the Prize. And for the last uh, five weeks, we've been looking at various aspects of what the resurrection of Jesus has secured for us. And uh, I I just constantly just get amazed. Every time I think about it, I almost get goosebumps of what the transition must have been like for the disciples as they would hear Jesus teach the three years that they walked with him. And he, and he performed those miracles and he taught them. He taught the multitude, the Sermon on the Mount, and, the, and then he would come back and he would teach specifically his disciples and they would listen and they wouldn't understand they wouldn't get it but sometimes they'd get it and, and and in contrast to that i look at this this period of time historically in the church calendar that we're in this time between easter the resurrection and the ascension of christ and the and then the coming of the holy spirit pentecost sunday which is coming up May 15th. We're looking forward to that. That's going to be awesome. Make sure you're here. You don't want to miss May 15th. Be here. And as, as as we look at that, it says that for 40 days, Jesus taught about the kingdom. He taught about the kingdom. Now, how do you think the disciples listened? After they thought he was dead on the cross, and now he's resurrected, and now... You've got the nail prints in his in his hands the the, the the wound in his side and he's teaching you about the kingdom. My hunch is that they listened a little bit more intently as Jesus was talking. huh I don't know if the scriptures silent about this but if he was really preparing them for when he was going to, go to the Father and he was telling them about the crucifixion and over at least three specific times he told them what was going to happen to him. He was giving them a heads up about the cross, heads up about that. I wonder if he gave them any warning about the ascension during this 40 days. If he said, okay, I'm going to be here for 40 days. I'm going to teach you about the kingdom. I doubt if he said that. Matter of fact, Luke's the one that records it at the beginning of Acts. He lets us in on on this time frame that nobody else talks about. Most of the Gospels go from the crucifixion to the resurrection to then him meeting with his disciples and a few specific people and then his ascension into heaven. Boom. But Luke lets us know that there's this 40-day period And that's what we're concentrating on. And that's what we're asking the Holy Spirit to to meet us. And the prize that we're looking at today is the prize of the resurrected life for each one of us who believe. The opening scripture that we have is found from Paul's writing to the church at Corinth, his second letter, chapter 5, verse 17, in the message translation. Now we look inside and what we see is that anyone united with the Messiah gets a fresh start, is created new. Okay, everybody say new. 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 Created new. Wow. The old life is gone. The new life burgeons. Look at it. You know, as, as I've heard people kind of go through this understanding of what this new life that we have in Christ, where we, we not only have our sins forgiven, but now we have Christ living in us and the righteous one living within us and he's working from the inside and he's, he's really intent about making us like himself, which means righteous, righteous. Wow, that's amazing. So he's working, he's moving. It's not just to forgive us of our sins. We've we've all been forgiven our sins, but now he's he's working in us so that we'll understand who we have forever, eternally been prepared to be. What's our true identity? Who has he called you to be? What are you supposed to be? You know, the, the liberation out of the darkness I I think that's and we we'll, no, I'm getting way ahead of myself. I'm so excited. I want to get. That's okay. Be at peace. Pray for me. I gotta settle down. This is too good. To go from where we are to where He's created us to be is a journey. And many of us have a lot of detours on the way of coming to where we're supposed to be. Anybody taken a detour? Yeah, yeah. We, we, we've had a few detours, haven't we? But as we understand who he is and as we understand who we are, we begin, to, we begin to get a foundation that makes the number of detours that we take less and less. And we find that we start to make more of the correct turns and we're becoming more like who we're supposed to be. Now, lest anybody thinks that that's because we are so smart and we figured it out, it's not. Because if left to ourselves, we'll constantly be making the wrong choice. But it's his spirit that lives within us, that we've been called to walk alongside, and he comes next to us, and he guides us, and he's our counselor. And as we begin to take these steps with him, all of a sudden we're starting to make the right connections, and we start to see that we're becoming more like him. It's not because we've got a good self-help program going for us, but it's because we've got one passion in our life, and our one passion in our life is to know him. And so as we come into his presence, and as we, we learn how to, to worship him, and how to, to, to hear his voice, how to pray to him, how to follow him, as we come into that, all the other stuff just starts to fall off. it it just starts to go by the wayside. It's not because we're in this group and we're going to work real hard on getting victory over this sin that we get victory over this sin. Most of the time when we get victory over this sin, it's for a period of time until if our confidence is in our ability to work the program, there's going to be a moment in time and space when enough stress, enough pressures, enough things, and we we've we believe that we're completely, we're, we're completely victorious over that. And all of a sudden it, it blindsides us and we're back there. And we find out we're not free. But as we make him the source and as we pursue him as our life, as we pursue Him as our Lord, our Savior, as we pursue Him as our friend. He is our bridegroom. And as we pursue relationship with Him, this stuff just naturally, just naturally falls off. Because the closer you get to Him, the less the stuff can remain. And so it starts to fall. It starts to leave us. And we, we don't boast that we've got X number of years we just are amazed. X number of years gone by, and, and we haven't been tempted. We haven't been bothered by it. How does that happen? It happens by making the main thing the main thing. You've got to keep first things first if you're ever going to get to second things. When you substitute second things, your personal freedom above your relationship with the Lord, you will always get hamstrung. It will always come back to bite you. Because the only way to truly do this is to make Jesus number one in your life. No sweat. And out of your love relationship with Jesus, you'll see everything else starts to fall in place. And that's why he said in Matthew 6 33, Seek first my kingdom and my righteousness, and all these other things will be added as well. You got to keep first his kingdom and his righteousness. Your relationship with him and the advancement of his kingdom on earth. And as you do that, everything else begins to fall into place. Amen. Have mercy. Now, as you come to life with Christ, you soon find out that you've got a call. That he has called you to something. And so... What is a calling? Isaiah 43.1 puts it this way. But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. Amen. A lot of times with young believers, especially those in their 20s and 30s, they're constantly Worried that they're they're missing their vocation, their calling in in, in Jesus, you know, and, and they they're, they get frantic. I see sometimes they're really frantic. You know, I I don't know if I'm supposed to be a missionary to China. I don't know if I'm supposed to be a pastor. I don't know if I'm supposed to be you know someone who works in a secular job but has an impact in the city, you know, and they, they don't know, and so they they get real anxious, and it's like no 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 no. The first thing about a calling that Isaiah says is that we need to understand that we belong to him. It's always going to be about relationship. If it's truly the kingdom of God, it's going to be about a family. We're family first. And as we understand that we belong to him, that's the most important thing. Look what Jesus said to his disciples when he called them. After a night of prayer, he comes down the mountain and he he calls those And this is what Mark records in Mark 3.13. Jesus went up on the mountainside and called to him those he wanted. Turn to your neighbor and say, you know he wanted you? He wanted you. Yeah. And everybody that Jesus wanted, they came to him. Man. Have mercy. I was dating Debbie, and she wanted me, and guess what? I came. I came to the one that wanted me. You know, why go to Mary Lou if Mary Lou doesn't want you? you know, don't go, don't go someplace where you're not wanted, but the place that you're wanted, that's where you can go. Other places you can't go. You need to understand first, the call of God on your life is about Him wanting you and because he wanted you what he do he called you and he appointed 12 designating them to be apostles that they might be with him before he gave them any responsibilities and gave them any assignments any tasks any jobs the first thing he called them he called them to himself so that they could be together He wanted to hang out with them. He wanted them to get to know him as he got to know them. But I think he had a head start on knowing them. But he wanted them. This is something that you've got to understand, that the enemy will always come at you, and he will take all the things that you perceive as things that have disqualified you, and he will accent those He he will cause those to come to the forefront and to always make you feel like you're disqualified to respond to the one who wants you and is calling to you. And he just wants you to be with him. We have to be with him first before we serve. We have to be with him before we discover what ministry he wants us to do. As we're with him, we become like him, we get his heart, we 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 begin to understand his attitude, we see how he redeems everything. He takes suffering and he makes it redemptive. He 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 takes lack and makes it one of the one of the key ingredients to inheriting. And as as we understand huh, our weakness, he's able to release his strength. And and so we find that this kingdom that we've entered into through our new birth in this new relationship with Jesus, the way our, our world ran before we met Jesus had a set of rules. And then when we come to Jesus, we find out that his kingdom flips things upside down. So now greatness is defined as the one who serves not the one who's being served. First is last in the kingdom. And in the kingdom, last is first. (laughs) What's this? And so we find that it's an upside down kingdom. The poor inherit the earth. Hmm. The, The foolish... Not, not the wise and learned of, of this world standard, but the one that humbles themselves and acknowledges in humility that they don't understand and they don't know. And they ask for wisdom, they receive wisdom. Hmm. Have you noticed that if you think you know it all, you hardly ever humble yourself to ask for anything? That's why men don't ask for directions. Uh, All my male, gender, human beings, humble yourself Uh so that God can exalt you. Ask for directions. It's not hard. Well, it is Mm -hmm. when we have to deal with our pride. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's something. That just came to me, so, wow. Mm Mm-hmm. So there's much talk about knowing our calling, and Isaiah Chuck, he suggests that our calling is like a, a parent who calls to the child and lets the child know that primarily into a love relationship you are called, and out of that relationship you will bear fruit, and this fruit will be found in the purpose and the mission that you will participate in. So huh. So What's your calling? 2 Peter 1.10 says, Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure, for if you do these things, you will never fall. What is your calling? <clears throat> well, we want to make sure that we don't fall, so we better figure out what our calling is. Okay, Make it sure, make it solid, and get it there. I go back to Jesus. I always think that's a great place to go. Go back to Jesus. Let's look at Jesus. When he called his disciples to himself because he wanted them and he wanted them to be with them, what was the mission? What was the purpose of their call? It says in Mark 3, to continue where we've started, he says that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. Oh, yes. Wow. Does that sound like fun? That'll keep us busy. How many are really excited? about the call to preach. Public speaking is the number one fear among human beings, public speaking. So a lot of folks, you're reading this and you're saying, oh, I'm following Jesus, he wants me, he wants me to be with him, and he wants me to preach. Oh, what am I gonna do? And if that doesn't get you, and to drive out demons. Oh, 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 sign me up, let's sign up. Everybody like to throw out demons? Huh? Everybody enjoy that? That, is, is that? Is that like your favorite pastime? Those nasty things? I mean, you can't wait. Oh, I can't wait to get up so I can drive out a demon. Yeah, yeah. I imagine there's some that would probably, their fear of public speaking is so great, they'd still probably rather preach than to drive out a demon. I'm just taking a guess. I'm just taking a guess. Okay. Just taking a guess. So let's look what Luke has to say. Can we find a better, can we find a better expression of this? Luke is, is talking, Jesus is talking to the twelve. They're together. He gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Oh yes. Okay. How many would rather heal the sick? We got we got a few that would rather heal the sick than drive out demons. Okay. Okay. Heal the sick or preach? How many want to preach? Okay. Have mercy. I got good news for all of us. Come on. We get to do all of it. Dying Almighty. None of it's excluded. We will qualify this in a moment, but right now let your anxiety level just continue to rise. <laughs> and then cast your anxiety on Jesus because he cares for you. Because that seems to be the theme this week. <laughs> we got our disappointments, our anxieties, our hurts. The, the, the things that are heavy upon us, we need to learn how to, to cast them on. So right now in the message, you can practice that. Practice casting that onto the Lord. Mm-hmm. Those are some pretty amazing things there. Some pretty amazing things. I've never met a demon that I like. And when you, when you deal with the demonic, you need to understand that there's different levels of the demonic. You will come across some demonic that are so incredibly dumb, it's unbelievable. And you'll come across some in the demonic realm that human intelligence is no match for. No match. They are brilliant. Witchcraft is, is one of the spirits that's, that's extremely brilliant that's how they are able to manipulate human beings is with logic and reasoning and, and making white look black and black look white and up, down and down, up and, and all their, their ability to manipulate, to seduce, to intimidate, all of that you usually find in witchcraft. So you gotta, you gotta watch this. this, this stuff gets really, really heavy. I remember one time when I was casting out demons out of this one person, I don't know how many came out, and slithering on the floor and hissing and all that kind of stuff. Just just all sorts of antiques that the, that the evil one does when he gets an attachment inside and he gains control. He, he loves to, how do I put it? He, he loves to undignify the dignity of a human being. And so he loves to make that which is created in God's image, that which is created not in God's image. A snake, a, a, a dog, uh, you know, whatever. You know, he, he's always looking to manifest someone in a, in a lesser way. So after casting out several demons, you know, I, I, I thought, well, I'm just going to do a, a check here. Are there any more of you inside this person? And a voice came out of that being and said, nope, we're all gone. <laughs> and I thought, out. Oh, wow. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, some of this stuff, it, it, it's, it's almost humorous. But in the moment, it's never humorous. I remember the first time I got into a demonic conflict, when, when, the, de, when the demonic entity spoke through this female's voice, but it was a masculine voice spoken through this female. The hair on my arm just rose. And I thought, they didn't teach me about this in seminary. <laughs> I heard stories from missionaries, but we don't have it in America. Oh, yeah? And I knew it was a call to arms. It was a call to engage. And most of us, because we haven't had a lot of teaching on this, we learn through OJT, on-the-job training. We learn as we engage in this stuff. Now, I want to help us and and equip us because you're going to come across demons. You have come across demons. You just weren't aware of it. And as you become more spiritually discerning, you'll start to be able to discern what's going on in another person, what's what's happening to the atmosphere? Is there a demonic presence here that's having having influence and, and and is able to manipulate? And so we need to be aware of that. Okay? So I want you all to start your first demonic deliverance today. Okay? We're all gonna practice. Okay? Everybody take one of your hands and put it right on top of you. Okay? And say, if there's anything in me that's not of you, Lord, I command it to leave in Jesus' name. Glory to God. Now, many of us thought that was just a fun, silly little exercise, but some folks are being delivered right now. This is for real. Deliverance. Sometimes it's a full-blown power encounter, but most of the time it's it's a truth and a will encounter. Most of the time it's it's that you just got to line up with truth and you've got to line your will and your heart and your spirit up with the spirit of the living God. And as you do, you give him present. You give him permission to go in and do what he's been wanting to do. Now, why doesn't Jesus just do this for us? Because the way we got in the shape that we're in, the enemy understands spiritual realities. And in the spirit realm, there is a reality that Satan completely knows that Jesus taught his disciples, and it's the power of agreement. It takes two witnesses for anything to be established on the earth. You get that legally in the court system. But here in the spirit realm, it's an absolute. And a lot of our, our self-deliverance type of stuff is when we, when we realize that we've agreed with the evil one, but we never did it intentionally. But we did it because he counts as one. And we count as one. And when you take what he says about you and you say what you say about you, That's two, and now agreement is established on the earth. Everybody with me? Mm -hmm. This is important, make sure we get this. So when you were little, and you were in school, and you didn't study for the test, and the test score came back, and you frunk, that's the way my Chinese professor Dr. Wong always say, you frunk. Whoa. And he's going to take a fright to China. Uh-oh. So the FLs go FRs. And, and so you frunk. And all of a sudden you look at the paper, there's more red on it than blue, and you realize, I got an F. An enemy whispers in, you'll never ever be able to do math. You'll never understand English. You're never going to be able to do academic stuff. And you've got this paper that has been given to you by an authority, your teacher, and you look at it and you say, yeah, I'm stupid. One, one, right there in your heart, something has been established. The evil one has now legal access to that place in you where you have agreed with him that you are, and I'm just using academic, but you take it in any realms. I can't play sports. I can't do anything. I don't have coordination. I can't do music. I can't do this. You know, whatever it is that you pronounced over you, if the enemy has, has, that's one, that's two, that's agreement. He now has an ability to start to expand that area. And when he starts to expand that area, what he does is he tries to reinforce it. So now you flunk math, and now you get your spelling test back, and guess what? You didn't study for your spelling test either, and you, and now he says, you can't, you can't do this. And so now it's starting to grow. Now it's starting to grow. What's happening? You need deliverance. You need to get these agreements broken. Okay. There's deliverance, and when I'm using deliverance like this, let me qualify and, and be clear. I'm not saying that the devil is in you. I'm saying that when we agree with the devil, he has established a place in our heart of agreement, and he has spiritual permission. He's got access to torment us and, and to go to that place because he's he you've given him permission to have access to that part of you. And as he has access to that part, he wants to grow it and develop it until all of a sudden you think you're a loser. You think you'll never be able to do academics. I had had a guy in seminary at the same time when I was going through seminary, and this guy was a scholar. His, His ability to really do academic stuff was amazing and as I and as I got to know him, he went on into our, our our denominational headquarters and he was writing curriculum for adults. You know, so he was he was really, really and as I got to talk to him, he flunked out of high school. He had believed these lies that he couldn't do this stuff. But when he came to Christ and Christ came in, and he became a new creature, his mind came back. And he was able. He was able to do things. So at at salvation, when we invite Christ in, everything changes, everything's new. But then as we make agreements with the evil one post-salvation, all of a sudden, he now has permission to take and occupy and, and to influence in that spot. He doesn't physically occupy it. But he has a, he has an avenue of influence, and so as that influence comes in, he's there. It's it's a reality, and as that enlarges and enlarges and enlarges, pretty soon we're 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 kind of we're losing our freedom and our will, and really our identity. All of a sudden, who we are in Christ keeps getting smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller until we think this is. This is all we have to live for. It's just just a little, little spot. So how do we get rid of agreements? You don't cast them out because they're not demons. But you do have to ask the Lord to remove them. It has to be an act of your will. It was an act of your will that you chose to believe the lie, even though you were set up, and you were played, But as a result of that, you have to do something very, very similar in that you exercise your will and say, Lord, I want to break all agreements that I've made with the evil one. And especially when the Lord begins to reveal to you the the agreements that you made, the Holy Spirit starts to say, you know, you've agreed with the enemy with this. Oh, thank you. Lord, I want to agree with you. I ask that you break that agreement with the evil one. I, I choose not to be in agreement with him. Anymore. Amen. And boom. He does it. You've heard of strongholds. Those are agreements that have been systematically developed until now there's almost a sense of a of a fortress inside of us that the enemy has permission to to do. You know, that's kind of how addictions work. You know, when we agree with the evil one, we make you know, and, and then he he strategically places those around until all of a sudden. Now there's there's a whole system of coping with pain, with life, with boredom, with whatever. Uh, whether it's it's video games, that, that seems to be one of the strongholds that the enemy's really developing. It seems like in our culture, is is the video game type of thing. It's just going crazy. That people are starting to have so much agreements with with that that they have developed these, these things, and, and become, they, they have a life almost of their own. And then we wonder why we don't have time to pursue intimacy with God. We wonder why we don't have a heart to go and do the things that we're seeing that we're called to do. Preach the good news of the gospel of the kingdom. Drive out demons. Heal sickness and disease why do we lose our appetite for that? Because the enemy has gotten us to agree and out of the agreements, he's built the strongholds and out of the strongholds, now our affection. You know, if we're to love the Lord our God with all our heart, but we've got these things that have come into our heart and we've got this fortress over here and the stronghold over here. Now we're loving God with half our heart. We're loving God with 60%, 25%, 10% of our heart. Why is it that the things that should cause us to be drawn to and filled with joy and a real anticipation and excitement, why is it that we, we find that there's nothing inside of us that's saying, yes. But we find that fear and anxiety is starting to take the day in our lives. Boy, aren't you glad you came to church today. Mhm. Okay. So the third point and the last is the calling of the church. Yeah. Jesus says in Matthew 28 Then Jesus came to them and said, "All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit." and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Thine, old oh hmm. So this is how Matthew winds up his gospel. The calling to us as his disciples, as the church of Jesus Christ, is to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the end of the age. When it comes to calling, it starts with His presence and it ends with His presence. He calls you because He wants you, and He calls you because He wants you to be with Him. After you get your task, your, your assignment, your mission, He closes once again, and I am with you always. I'll always be with you. And there is something about us as as human beings that we need that security of the presence of the living Savior with us. To begin to even gather near him and to hang out with him and to discover who he is, we need his presence And then to do the mission, we need his presence because it's him working through us all those wonderful things. And then we need the assurance that he's never, never going to leave us. This is the promise that we find that Joshua needed before he went into the promised land, before he took Jericho, he needed to hear from the Lord that I will never, never, no, never, never, ever leave you nor forsake you. There's a sevenfold negative there to let us know. And that's kind of the number for perfection. It's absolute. He's never going to leave you. You may not sense his presence, but you know on, on his truth of his word, he's never going to leave you. You always are assured of presence. Huh. It's, re-picked, it's picked up in the New Testament. So you don't just think this is an Old Testament promise. It's a New Testament promise. The, the book of Hebrews picks it up again. And we are assured of his presence. His presence is always going to be with us. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. And so we, we have it as the bookends of our calling. He's called us to be with him. He wants relationship. Everything that happens between here and here is all relational. And it ends with knowing his presence will be with us forever and ever. So then we enter into the calling. Now, you're all experts in deliverance now. You've delivered yourself, so you've got that. But here's a prayer that I pray on a regular basis. Lord, if I've got any agreements that I've made with the enemy, I renounce them. I ask for understanding and revelation so that I can totally disagree. And I want to agree with you in every area that I've been tricked into believing a lie. Okay? Now, this is going to get you down the road a good ways. If you, if you incorporate this in your life, try it for 30 days and see if, if you're not experiencing more life in 30 days. And then once you do it 30 days, do it the rest of your life. Do it the rest of your life. I, I, I try to do that as often as I remember it. And sometimes I, I, I like to take the short form. And I just say, Lord, let it be written in the annals of heaven that I, Richard A. Francis, if I ever agree with the evil one, I want every agreement broken in Jesus' name. And I want to agree with you in that area that the enemy has tricked me to agree with him. Okay? That makes sense? I'm trying to take a preemptive strike, just in case, you know, I'm really thinking low self-esteem, you know, Deb's mad at me, the dog wants to bite me, the world's bad, there's no money, there's no, and all this kind of, and, and the enemy whispers something, and I say, yeah, and that, that's, Holy Spirit, come and hit me with a holy hammer. And let me realize that I've just made an agreement with, with someone based on my circumstances. Because he'll, he'll exploit all your circumstances, but you don't have to allow him that kind of access. Oh, gosh, I was afraid I'd go crazy today. Over. Whoa. Let's, let's find a place to land this plane. Mm-hmm. N.T. Wright, a great New Testament theologian, has written... The calling of the church is to announce redemption to a world that has discovered its fallenness, to announce healing to a world that has discovered its brokenness, to proclaim love and trust to a world that knows only exploitation, fear, and suspicion. That's another way of putting it. I like that. So as we discover what our calling is, Heal the sick, cast out demons, preach the gospel of the kingdom, and by preaching there, it's not just—it's it's speaking and demonstrating. This is all, all of it, it impacts the kingdom. But you've got to realize it's always with presence on the front and presence on the back, and presence all the way through. It's relationship. Your calling is a calling to family. This is a family-run operation. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they're in charge. And we get included. <laughs> and we get to participate. Oh, yes. Jesus said to his disciples, greater things than these you will do. Let's look on to the greater things. So, Father, I pray right now that you'll give us grace. Why don't we lay hands on our head again? Everybody want to do that? You might have more things to do. This isn't for deliverance now. Now you're being authorized. In the name of Jesus, I release the healing power of Jesus' kingdom to my body, to my soul, to my emotions, for my relationships. I release healing, power, and authority in Jesus' name. Amen. I wanted to get you all jump-started on deliverance and healing. Okay? So you've got that. Now, as you leave today, you can preach to one another as you go out out the door. (laughs) Preach the kingdom to one another. And if you have to, use words. Mm -hmm. let's prepare our hearts for communion I thought what a wonderful way to to just kind of round out our experience with the Lord's presence this morning worship team such a wonderful time thank you so much and now as, as we come to the table of the Lord I want us to take seriously the call that Jesus is calling you to for some of us, it may just be to come to him because he wants us. I call that kind of level one call. It's coming to just realize, to taste and see that the Lord is good. So we got some juice and some a wafer. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Get to know him. Come, open up. Just ask him to open your heart. For For the, for the others, it's going to be the next level of, of intimacy with, with God. Believing the truth about what he's said and what he's done Mm -hmm. and what he's saying to you and what he wants for you. And so as you come and you receive the cup, you receive the bread, feel free to go anywhere in the sanctuary and just make it your personal, intimate communion with Jesus, your time to be with him. And, and, And don't worry, if you start hearing that other people seem to be done with that, and they're they're talking, and they're moving, but you're engaged, you stay engaged with the Lord. Anytime you connect with Him, and He's connecting with you, you don't let anything around you bring a disconnect. Learn to take those as sacred and wonderful moments with, with the Lord. Okay? So folks, if you'll come and help prepare the table. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast.